0: Was the first film that affected you ever? Yes.
1: Uh, the first film that that the first film that truly demonstrated to me the power of cinema was definitely Iron Eagle. <laughs> Without a doubt, because. Um, <laughs> Not like the Great Escape. Like there no, are better
0: war no, movies. <laughs> no, no, no. It was
1: definitely Iron Eagle because I remember uh, it was the first movie that my dad uh, let me go to by myself. Like I wasn't accompanied by my parents, and we were actually living in Montreal at the time. And he took uh, he took me to the theater with my friend and dropped us off. We watched this cheap Top Gun ripoff, and then he took us home. And I I very distinctly remember when I went to bed that night and closed my eyes. I could see like jets and explosions and like you know like huge fireballs and I was just like wow nothing has ever like tripped me out this hard before so I definitely Iron Eagle is what started my path down filmmaker Lane.
0: Now when did you know you wanted to be a filmmaker?
1: Uh, that was that was uh, a really long complicated road of like me having to admit to myself that that's what I really wanted to do so I w- was totally obsessed with movies um, from from probably like grade 10 on but I could never quite like work up the courage to be like I want to make a movie because it always was so scary and so intimidating and so for like it just seemed like an alien thing like how do you get to be a filmmaker so I went through these stages of like well I'll be uh, you know like a film producer. Professor. Yeah, that's what I'll do, I'll be a film professor. And so I finished my film degree and I go and do my master's. Like, well, you know, what, this isn't really what i do. Uh You know what I'll do, I'll be a cinematographer. Yeah, I'll be a cinematographer. And then I, I explored that for a little while. I was like, well, you know what, I'll be a screenwriter. That's what I'll do, I'll be a screenwriter. And then eventually I was like, no, man, you're never going to actually be satisfied unless you direct a film. And it didn't actually get to that point until I was, like, in my late 20s, you know? So I didn't actually start making films until I was, like, 28 or 29, so much later than most people.
0: Now, did, it, did the fear also come a little bit from your upbringing? Because I know, like, with my father, it was like, okay, yeah, you can be an actress, but you have to have something to fall back on. It's never... Well, the line I gave my
1: dad, and you'll really appreciate this, is that um, I didn't want to go to RMC because I didn't like their film program.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. <good reason. laughs>
1: <laughs> Which she totally understood, right? I, I have to admit, my parents have actually been incredibly supportive. Like there was even this weird detour I took in this process of denying what I really wanted, where I thought I was going to be an entertainment lawyer to the point where I wrote the LSAT and that's I bizarre. I got accepted I got accepted to law school at UBC and I moved. To, that's why I moved to Vancouver was to go to law school at UBC and I actually set the record at UBC for the fastest dropout because
0: <laughs> was it one day? It was one class. <laughs>
1: I went into my first class, and at the end of the first class, I broke my pencil, and I walked to the dean's office, and I was like, I'd like to drop out. And she said, you know, part of my job as the dean is to talk you out of this decision, but we've never had anyone come so quickly, so why don't I just sign the form yeah. for you? So she no signed. And, and then I had this this like, this like awful moment where I was like, I have to call my parents and tell them I just dropped out of law school, and they were totally cool. They were like, hey, man, just do whatever makes you happy. So very for a, for a, a colonel in the military, he was pretty understanding. That's awesome. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So the first film you that you wrote and directed was uh, Director's Cut in two thousand and six. How autobiographical was that? Extremely, one hundred percent, totally autobiographical.
1: <laughs> um, it was that I was a, uh, I was paying the bills and learning about filmmaking by being a production assistant, which is basically like a coffee getter, right? Um, like the lowest rung on the film industry uh, ladder. And so I literally would stand next to directors who would tell me to drive to a fromagerie across town and get them these two different kinds of Belgian cheese. Like it. it really does happen. So it was very much a film of, like I want to murder a film director as from like a PA's perspective so yeah it was totally autobiographical.
0: And what kind of attention did you get when you made that film?
1: Not much um, I mean I, one of the most uh, sort of reassuring pieces of advice I ever got was when I saw uh, an interview with Michael Mann and he said um, it's very important as a young filmmaker to make terrible short films because that's how you learn, yeah. right? And so so I consider—I very much consider that one of my terrible short films. I'm not super proud of it. It was kind of like me trying to imitate filmmakers that I admired. It was me trying to make a Coen Brothers movie and failing horribly, right? So um, it got into a couple of small festivals. I, I, it did get me an agent. That was the first time I got an agent, was as a result of that film. So that's something, um, but uh, you know, in the big picture, it didn't really get me much attention at all.
0: Yeah, but an agent I think is kind of imperative to what you're trying to accomplish, isn't it? It was, yeah, <laughs>
1: and, and it was that getting the agent was what um, allowed me to move back to Toronto as well, and that's where, you know, you sort of have to be in Canada to have a feature film career, so that, I, I guess it did sort of play a part that way.
0: Now, prior to that, you were doing rap videos? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, is that
0: because of a great love of rap, or some of these people were your friends? or Both.
1: I mean, uh, along with comic books and movies hip-hop is like a huge obsession of mine and when I'm obsessed with something I'm not like halfway with it right I try to do it as, as, as intensely as I can and so um, when I first started making films I went to Winnipeg because I knew it was a cheap place to live and I knew about the Winnipeg Film Group which is this amazing organization that helps filmmakers make films very cheaply and uh, I had a lot of friends in Winnipeg because I was posted there as a child my dad my army brat and uh, a lot of my friends in Winnipeg were uh, rappers and DJs in the hip-hop a very amazing, uh, people don't know this, but Winnipeg has an amazing hip-hop scene. So I just showed up in Winnipeg and was like, who wants a rap video? And lots of people (laughs) said yes. So that's what I did and I loved making those films.
0: Now a couple of them were in black and white and I was wondering what your attraction to black and white film was.
1: Well, I think any filmmaker loves black and white film. Um, It's... uh, any true filmmaker loves, um, you know, films from the '40s and '50s and '60s that were in black and white, and I don't know, you know, it's 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 an aesthetic. It's just an aesthetic. Um, Do you
0: think there's affection. like a a clarity to that sort of film? Yes,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think it, it. there's something about black and white that is more truly filmic, you know, like you don't see a lot of video in black and white, there's something more filmic about black and white and, uh, you know, like a lot of artistic decisions, it's just it's just something you love, you know, it's hard to explain like a love for for a piece of art and, and you know, I just think of the films that, you know, a lot of the films that are really important to me, like Hitchcock's films and, and uh, Citizen Kane and, you know, all the classic sort of like studio era Hollywood films that we fell in love with like Howard Hawks films you know. The Thin Man. The Thin Man and and, uh you know um uh His Girl Friday is one of my favorite films you know and it's just that black and white aesthetic. I've always been super jealous of Steven Soderbergh for getting to make one of his first films a feature uh Kafka Mm -hmm. entirely in black and white and and I've always admired that choice and wanted to emulate that.
0: Now the a song by Pipskid, You So Much. Uh, tell me how you came up with that idea because I found that gimmick really simple, but yet riveting. Like, yeah. I couldn't stop watching it. Thank you.
1: It. Thank you so much. Um, first of all, I have to just say that Pipskid is my single favorite artist to collaborate with in any medium. Well, you've
0: like, done I, the most videos with him. I so. have, yeah.
1: Like, he, uh, I, I met him when I when I went to Winnipeg. We very quickly became friends and I just love working with that guy. And so, how did I come up with that idea? I'm sure because it's, it, like, I'm sure it's it ripped his face, it off something.
0: And you have, like, little square boxes, but it's like You filmed a whole bunch of different cameras. It's the same. What what I did was
1: I I aimed a camera at him and didn't move it. And I had him do the song. But just one camera? Just one camera. okay. Because I got the impression there was more than one. But here's how we did it. Um, I aimed the camera at him and I had him perform the song 14 times in a row. Oh, okay. And then each take I just layered on top of each other. So um, you're just seeing different parts of different takes at the same time. To people on the radio, this is going to be so confusing. (laughs) But it's on YouTube. Pipskid, you so much. Um, So, uh, I don't. I don't know I guess it was just an idea I had had for a long time and wanted to try that's the great thing about working with Pip's Kid uh, Pat which is his government name um, <laughs> is that uh, he's willing to just try shit and see if it works mm-hmm. and I love that about him
0: and I was also wondering where you got the found footage for Pip's Kid the video
1: um, that is public domain footage that anyone is allowed to use really you didn't yeah. pay for it or anything nope, I didn't pay for it or anything. Awesome. there's a website called archive.org and the, the raison d'etre of archive archive.org is to give people access to footage that has no copyright and so anyone can use that footage and so we just came across it and it was like this is perfect for this video so we just found a way to incorporate it into the video.
0: Now one of the other videos you did was by Philosophy. I was wondering how long it took you to make that video because it was a series of photographs. You you took like 2,400 photographs or something and then you animated them?
1: Yes. So the song is called Philosophy. Oh sorry, oh Gruff. Gruff Gruff is is the artist. That's right. Gruff is the artist. The song is called (laughs) Philosophy. The photographer that took those photographs is named John Schledowitz. He's a Winnipeg photographer. He's a genius. Um, It actually didn't take long because because it was literally John with his camera he had a motor drive so he would just lean on the button and it would just to oh, okay. take the pictures all in a row. What took a long time was processing the photographs and then scanning each photograph and putting it into the editing program to like line them all up one in a row. Now with digital cameras, you can do the same thing in like ten minutes. But we did that with <laughs> actual then, yeah. film, right? So it was very time-consuming. But I love that how that video looks. Yeah, That's true. I've only ever made two projects on film, um, and one of them had to cost a hundred thousand dollars. That one cost a hundred dollars because it was. <laughs> (laughs) just still photography, right?
0: Now, I wanted to know as someone, myself, who's not a filmmaker, how hard is is it to do videos versus movies?
1: Yeah, you mean music videos versus feature films? (laughs) Yes. Feature films are soul-crushingly hard. Uh, Music videos are just uh, crushingly hard. Okay. (laughs) So they're both very difficult, but because music videos are usually just shot in one day, um, that it's not quite as consuming. Films, I mean, Film, the filmmaking is is really difficult because there are so many moving parts you know there's between 20 and 100 crew members there's the all the technical requirements there's it's such a long process of writing the script making the movie editing the movie it's really 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 hard and yeah sometimes it makes me wonder why i've chosen this as a career. <laughs>
0: So, the last two rap videos I wanted to talk to you about was one from um, Sadie called Boom Box, which I found fascinating because uh, it was done for APTN, First Tracks, mm-hmm. and then the other one was Crystal, which was like an anti-meth rap video, how did yes. those happen?
1: I'd like to pause the interview at this point and uh, and just congratulate you on your research
0: skills.
1: is <laughs> the most well-researched interview I've ever done in my life. Um, okay, so I was lucky enough to be uh, contacted about the Sadie video by the production company that made the video. They had seen some of the other videos that you mentioned and they hired me to make that video. Um, so that was just serendipity.
0: Now what I was wondering too is how much input do you have when you're like a director for hire for these music videos? Because the Sadie video had a neat little concept that with the graffiti and then putting people involving people within the graffiti which yep. I thought was cute. I clever. think, I
1: think the, the, the general rule of thumb with music videos is that the director comes up with a concept uh, and that's what happened there. I pitched the idea to the production company and they just loved it and said great you can direct the video um, and now the crystal meth video was largely, largely the same thing. I was working with that production company on something else and they said this has come across our desk this guy wants to make an, a PSA that's also a music video and he's into rap and you've done a lot of this stuff before and I said and they told me um, they want to show it to grade 10 students in Manitoba and I remembered being a grade 10 student and anytime they wheeled a PSA in front of us back in the day when you would wheel you just make
0: fun of it, an audio video <laughs> cart in yeah. front
1: of the class it was always the dumbest most patronizing thing but if a teacher had wheeled a cart in and said hey class today we're going to watch a horror movie mm-hmm. I would have been like awesome you know so I said why don't we do this as a horror movie and so um, the the music video shows uh, it's about uh, everything that happens to this kid in this music video, uh, which is basically a recreation of a scene from one of the Saw movies. It's like yeah. torture porn, but everything that happens to the kid is something that happens to you when you're addicted to crystal meth. Well,
0: the, one thing that I really loved about it is the fact that the crystal meth embodies a young hot girl.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then she, the she kind of seductive. kidnaps him,
0: and yeah, it's very seductive. Yeah, yeah it, it's on the one hand, it makes it's a him he- feel good, and then
1: exactly. On the one hand, it's a heavy-handed metaphor, but on the other hand, we thought it was you know for a grade ten, you know, it was a perfectly appropriate way to understand drugs and
0: and then the ending was really really powerful when he's walking through the alley and you see all the damage that crystal has done to him it's that's just it's enough to be like oh yeah that really brings it home you know
1: i thought it would be disingenuous to have a happy ending mm-hmm. because for most drug addicts there is no happy ending so yeah and they, the, the production company was really into having a grim ending as well so yeah i love that film
0: I was wondering also about the Mad World video. Was it specifically for Gary Jules or was it something that you just put together as like a fan of his work? And did you spend a lot of time in Japan or were you just visiting?
1: Totally a fan film. Um, in fact, at one point I contacted, I wrote to his management and was like, do you mind if I put this on YouTube? And they just never wrote back. So, But there's lots of other fan films. That that song is like so affecting and so beautiful that lots of people have made fan films oh, yeah. uh, for that song. So no, that's just my little ode. I also, I had, I lived in Japan for a year. I was teaching English over there, and I was writing. And the whole year I lived there, I was shooting video. So I wanted a way to use that video on something. So I just said, well, I'll make a video for this song that I love.
0: Um, And you saw this this dancer in the street, she was just spontaneously dancing and you caught it all in film?
1: Exactly. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, it was, she, um, the video was slowed down, uh, but uh, when you watch her at regular speed, she, she, she appears to be flailing, I thought she was having a seizure when I first saw her, but she's just flailing her arms around. But then when I took the film, the footage home and, and slowed it down, I noticed she was dancing incredibly beautifully, but at ten times the normal speed. Yeah. Of dancer. So, that's why the is in slow motion is to show that she's actually a beautiful dancer doing this incredibly chaotic style.
0: Yeah, it was really graceful. Yeah, And I was also wondering if you were going to patent the ghetto motion control technique that was found in the Alone Again video. Uh,
1: I don't think I can because I don't know if I could even recreate it. Um, no, I, people will still have to go out and pay thousands of dollars for regular motion control. I won't be able to patent ghetto motion control.
0: <laughs> Why don't you tell us about it anyways? Yeah,
1: so For we, the film
0: buffs out there. For the
1: film buffs out there. So we needed a way to rotate a camera in in a consistent manner so I went to a company that rented parade floats and they had this revolving platform that you hooked to a car battery and they wanted $50 a day to rent this thing awesome. so we just mounted the camera on this rotating platform that normally would have like a clown's head on it or something <laughs> and we That's just pretty
0: ingenious. hooked
1: it to a car battery and it just rotated at a consistent speed over and over again so yeah it worked.
0: I was wondering what the Berlino school talent camp was and what you did there.
1: Oh my god, that was one of the best experiences of my life. So the Berlinale Talent Campus This was last year or the year last before? Year, or last last year? Year. Every, well, actually, it was this year. It was this past February. Berlinale Talent Campus is um, this amazing opportunity for any aspiring filmmaker and what it is, it is Is it in Berlin? It's in Berlin. It's run by the Berlin Film Festival and it's a one week professional development course and the way you apply is you fill out a one page form and you send them five minutes of your most recent work and that's all you have to do and if you're accepted, they fly you to Berlin, they put you up in a hotel, and they give you a one-week um, program of master classes with some of the greatest filmmakers in the world. Like so, who
0: did you with?
1: I took a directing class with Mike Lee, who oh, made wow. Great and Secrets and Lies. Uh, I got an editing course from Lars von Trier's editor. Nice. Uh, I got to go and uh, get a lecture on documentary filmmaking from Werner Herzog. Um, and then on top of that, you get one-on-one consultations with... With, like distributors and uh, production executives. Now, did this cost you to go? No, they paid for the flight and the accommodations. Wow. And then on top of that, you also get an all-access pass to the Berlin Film Festival.
0: That's fantastic.
1: So it was a, it was a, an unbelievably crammed week of wow. like film. It was too, literally too much. Like my brain. Hurt Sounds like at the San end Diego Comic Con yeah. yeah, for filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was one of the greatest experiences in <laughs> my life.
0: What um, Osaka Sunset Pictures? Is that your company, or do you? share that? Is it a joint company with somebody?
1: That's my production company although as a result of the Berlinale Talent Campus I met another Canadian filmmaker who I hit it off with perfectly and since I got back from Berlin we've actually already collaborated on two pictures and I think we're basically going to be production partners going forward from this point. He's a Toronto based filmmaker named Randall Okita and his films are mind blowing. You should totally check them out. If you like my music videos I think it's safe to say you would like he largely makes experimental short films but he's also going to to be making future films as well.
0: That sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, I wanted to know who some of your influences were.
1: Oh god. Um, I, I I'm I, I'm a nerd, you know? Like I have loved comic books, music, film, art, everything since I was, like, old enough to read. And so there's a piece of, of, of all of those people in me. Like, it would be so unfair to all my other influences to single one thing out. It's mm-hmm. like KRS-One, uh, SCTV, mm-hmm. you know, um, Spider-Man. Okay, well,
0: let's just pick, stick with movie influences yeah, then, mean, as a director and a writer.
1: Who are the... My favorite working filmmakers right now um, are the Coen Brothers mm-hmm. and P.T. Anderson. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Linklater is mm-hmm. a, hu- yeah. a huge fan of. Uh, up until recently, Sidney Lumet, who just passed away. He's somebody I completely idolize and, and, and try to emulate his his methods in his filmmaking. You know, filmmakers who, who, who aren't with us anymore. Jean-Pierre Melville, the French mm-hmm. filmmaker who made crime films almost exclusively, I'm a huge fan of. But uh, Japanese filmmakers as well. Like, just Japanese filmmaking as a... Oh, as Battle
0: Royale is a, Battle Royale.
1: Like, Kinji Fukusaku, the filmmaker who made that. A lot of his Yakuza films from the 70s are just... Mine. He made, uh, he made a, a Yakuza movie in the 70s that has my favorite title of all time. It's called Battles Without Honor or Humanity, <laughs> which I think is the greatest title ever. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki, yeah. amazing, amazing filmmakers. So, yeah. I find it's almost more, more than individuals, it's it's countries like American, French, and Japanese filmmaking are just like what those... What Canadian? I, I am a very unpatriotic Canadian, and that's probably a result of growing up in countries like Germany and, and, and India and Pakistan, and, and uh, I, I, I very rarely moved by Canadian art, I'm afraid to say. I will give a plug, however, to SCTV, which Mm -hmm. is the greatest TV show of all time, Mm -hmm. and there's a new filmmaking collector from Winnipeg called Astron 6. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of Astron 6? Google Astron 6. Okay. That's all I'll say.
0: All right. So I'm working on a theory that children raised in a military nomadic atmosphere have a tendency to be more creative because we're constantly reinventing ourselves. Do you think that's true or false? False. Okay. Um, you used to write for a crime magazine. Are you obsessed with uh, serial killers and their motives, or are you more obsessed with the police incompetence that surrounds them?
1: <laughs> That's called a loaded question, Robin Fisher. Um, oh,
0: you think it would be easy? I yeah
1: yeah yeah. You're I, the one that wrote about it's it. It's true. It's true. I'm not. I'm not obsessed with serial killers. I'm obsessed with crime. I'm obsessed with. Um, I'm obsessed with the arbitrary rules that a society invents in order to decide what's a Okay and what's not okay. Um, that particular case I was really interested because it was so uh, blatantly uh, racially driven. It mm-hmm. was about uh, an African American serial killer who murdered like 13 poor black women in a row because the cops didn't give a fuck. But no, I mean, there's a reason that my first feature that's playing at Fantasia, Cold-Blooded, Tuesday, July 31st, 7pm, J.A. sev Theatre.
0: Uh, Don't worry, I'll be plugging it. Thank lots. you.
1: Um, that, there's a reason I wanted to make a crime film it's just I'm fascinated by criminals and uh, police and these people who dance around these rules. These it's lots, the gray areas. These rules. Yeah, the gray yeah. areas. That's what I'm fascinated by.
0: You used to also write for Wax Poetic. What's the content of that magazine? I've never seen it before.
1: Wax Poetics is a Brooklyn-based music magazine uh, that specializes in writing about the music that influenced hip-hop. Okay. So they write about hip-hop music, but uh, more than that, they write about jazz, funk, blues, mm-hmm. and soul, and R&B. So the music that um, uh, influenced young people in the early 1980s to make hip-hop no, I get music. It. So, um, and that's been, uh, as any true hip-hop fan is... Uh, As interested in the roots of hip hop, and so I was an obsessive.
0: I'm a big hip hop fan too.
1: Uh, that I was an obsessive vinyl collector and that's basically wax Products is built around that vinyl obsessive collector culture
0: Okay, and you also wrote for Rue Morgue Which leads me to ask have you ever thought of collecting any of your essays or writings? Because there's such an, a massive variety within your writing. It would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I guess so I mean, that's a great question. No, it's never occurred to me. Um, I, it, I will now start thinking about it <laughs> um, Rooking for Rue Morgue was, was some of the most fun I've ever had like they were such an awesome collection of people I'm actually still uh, collaborating with the the editor that was my editor at Rumor, Ivanka Vukovic, one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life, and uh, I was super proud to um, produce her first short film, The Captured Bird, which is also playing at Fantasia. Um, uh, uh, Sunday night tomorrow mm-hmm. night and um, yeah I was I mean one of the greatest one of the highlights of my life was getting to interview John Landis yeah. about American was Werewolf Was that here in last year? No that was. he was here last year Yeah no that was over the phone um, and uh, because American Werewolf in London was the, the, no film has traumatized me more than American Werewolf in London well American Werewolf is easily one of the scariest movies of all time so to be able to tell John Landis personally like your movie fucked me up like, <laughs>
0: What did he say?
1: He was like well how old were you and watched it and I said nine and he goes yeah that's not good <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the smartest people I've ever mm. talked to in my life great guy
0: Um, so have you seen Portlandia yet
1: I haven't should I yes everyone tells me it's a great Due show do you know why no
0: you like Slater Kinney, right? Yeah, I do. Terry Bronstein's in it. Really? Did you know she was very funny? No. She's very funny. She's from Portland, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all coming and together. And if you watch Portlandia, too, it's almost like watching a show about Vancouver because those two are like sister cities. That's it's, so cool. You really have to watch it. You'll yeah. laugh, laugh, laugh. Yeah, I love like I had them. no idea she was so funny. I was just like, what the hell? Because I love Slater Kinney, too. Yeah, I've seen too, them live a don't whole bunch really think time. of them as like a hilarious band. You have <laughs> to see Portlandia. Cool. I'll check them out. Um, now, who are some of your favorite rappers? Can you? Oh, boy.
1: You know, there's a rapper right now that just sort of exploded onto the scene six months ago named Action Bronson. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this guy? He's so cool. He's he's from Queens, New York, and he's like a big, like 280-pound white dude. And his dream is to be a gourmet chef. He wants to go to Tuscany and study to be a gourmet chef. And so he, his plan is to make money as a rapper, enough money, to go to Tuscany to become a gourmet That's chef. That's pretty interesting. So all he raps about is, is food. food. <laughs> So, awesome. so he's got all these raps about like losing weight, mm-hmm. but being so addicted to steak and chocolate <laughs> that he can't lose <laughs> enough weight. Um, and he, and, and, but the thing that's amazing is that he is one of the most talented rappers I've heard in years. So yeah. I'm super into Action Bronson right now, but like I mentioned KRS-One earlier, probably my single favorite rapper, Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the my the highlights of my career was doing an oral history of Public Enemy for Wax Poetics. So I sat down and interviewed each member of Public Enemy for like over two hours and then put nice. together... This oral history of the whole band. It was like a 10,000 word article in Wax Poetics. So, yeah, those are some of my favourites.
0: And now we're going to talk about the three movies you did last year.
1: <laughs> yes. Four. Um, four, four. Yeah.
0: Which was the fourth one? Oh, uh, you're talking captured about Bird. Captured Bird. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to talk about the first three first, because you just produced Captured Bird, whereas right. the yeah. other ones you actually were cinematographer, you wrote and directed. So
1: um, I was the writer and the director on all three, and but then I was the cinematographer, cinematographer on the documentary. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's right. That's the three that I'm including. Sure. Okay, so, um, which... Came first was a faceless, then I declare war, and then Cold Blooded. No,
1: nope. the chronology was Cold Blooded, the crime film, and then the documentary, yeah. and then I declare war was the third one.
0: Okay. Um. Did you sleep at all
1: last year? No, I haven't <laughs> slept. I haven't slept since the nineties. Um, no, uh, basically it was like years and years of developing all of these projects, and then through sheer coincidence, all of them triggering at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was this struggle to sort of make them work around each other. So the first thing that happened was um, I was pro- approached by a producer to write an entire movie that took place in an abandoned hospital because the producer had access to an abandoned hospital. So I came up with two ideas. Uh, one was a crime story and the other was a zombie story and he said, you know, because there's so little money to make this film, you're not going to be getting rich off this so why don't you just write the one you want to write the most and that'll hopefully motivate you a little more. And so I was allowed to write exactly the movie I wanted to which was the crime story. That's and really
0: excellent. Does that happen very often? Where someone often. shows up with money and a set and like, go to town. He didn't
1: show up with money. Oh, he showed okay. up with a set. Oh, okay. Um, but fortunately, after the the script was written, we approached Telefilm, which is Canada's government financing program for films, and uh, we applied to something called the Independent First-Time Filmmaker Low-Budget Fund. And that is a program that gives you a very small amount of money to make a feature film, and we were successful. Um, So we had Telefilm support uh, to make that film. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I made that and then immediately after that was done I had been paying the bills for the year before that with this amazing job where I was the artist in residence at a psychiatric unit
0: Okay, tell me so, more. I answered, what, did you like art therapy with them? or It was
1: basically art therapy. I answered an ad for a filmmaker where they wanted someone to come in to the unit and teach the patients how to make films as oh, a okay. way to alleviate boredom. So um, the uh, patients in the psych ward are they're basically just letting their medication kick in. So there's nothing to do in the unit. So it was a pleasure to go up there and show them how to work a video camera and make a little film and then use a laptop to edit it and put some music on it. So in the space of a day, we could make a little, you know, five-minute film, right? Um, So I agreed to do that job on the condition that at the end of the year I'd be allowed to make a feature-length documentary about the unit mm-hmm. and the hospital, after much negotiation and legal sort of like wrangling, allowed me to make the film.
0: Yeah, you were in a pretty lucky
1: spot there. It was a very lucky spot. So I shot that in February, and then uh, after I finished that, and I was editing both Cold Blooded and the documentary, I was approached by these producers in Toronto, and they knew about my script for I Declare War and had had it for a couple of years, but had gotten into a situation where they had found some financing and they said, We want to make I Declare War uh, in a couple of months, and we'd like you to direct.
0: Can you tell me what I Declare War is about?
1: Yes, I Declare War is a film about a dozen 12-year-olds playing a game of war in the forest, but imagining that they have real weapons. Uh, Machine guns, Uzis, bazookas, grenades. And so in the film, we see what's happening through their imaginations. Uh, So you actually see these kids with fully automatic assault rifles.
0: Now, one question I had for you is you and I both grew up in Germany, and I was wondering, A, both of us from military families, B, both of us with the Black Forest and our backyard with all these tank traps and trenches. How much of that was an influence on this movie? All of it. I mean, because <laughs> even I played those games with my brothers living on the military base. I, I was always the nurse, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, every every guy, like every guy who's 12 years old, plays war, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether you're an army brat or not. But being an army brat and literally like having to show a picture ID to get to go to in your, and from in your, your dad's
0: house. basement. There's all these things that you imagine my dad to had, war museums, like, every second vacation. <laughs> my
1: dad had a bazooka in our basement, right? Like, it didn't work, but there was a bazooka in the basement. So, of course, being a military brat was, like, a huge influence on it. But, I mean, w- really what the film is about, it, the, all of the military stuff is just a metaphor for what it's like to be 12. And it's about when you're 12, your emotions are out of control intense. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, have a crush on a girl, you don't have a crush on a girl, you're completely obsessed yeah, with her. Yeah, you live and, and die by it. it and and if she ignores you, you you know you want to throw yourself off a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it, it, all of the weapons and everything are just uh, a euphemism for how intensely you feel things when you're twelve.
0: Now I read a review that this reviewer felt that the movie was an allegory for bullying, and I saw the trailer and I didn't get that impression at all. The,
1: there's there's definitely a bullying storyline in the movie, but I think what happened was um, that review came out at exactly the same time that the bully documentary was out. Yeah, he, he and, mentions it in the yes, review. yeah. and the hunger. Games, which mm-hmm. is also about bullying. So there was like this zeitgeist of bullying going on. I don't know if that's going to continue when uh, the film comes out later in the year. So yeah, that may have just been a coincidence. There's definitely a bullying thing happening mm-hmm. in the movie, though.
0: Now, was it really hard to get parents on board, the parents of these children, especially when they're running around toting these actual weapons?
1: No, they loved it. And the, the parents loved it because the kids were so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Before we shot the film, we took all the kids um, and we trained them for a full day. Like a boot camp? Yeah we had a boot camp with a stunt coordinator who trained them all to use the weapons, right? So there's one girl in the movie and she was being trained with a laser-sighted crossbow to, mm. like, shoot crossbow bullets at a target. They were in heaven, mm. right? Like, we actually made jokes about turning it into an annual summer camp. <laughs> yeah. And kids would pay, like, $10,000 to, like, attend this real-life war camp.
0: Um, I'm sure that would go over well with the liberals. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: So, um, no, the parents were so supportive because How did you the find
0: these kids? Was it hard or was it just auditions? It was that it all came together really easily. A casting
1: agent, yeah, a lot of the kids have worked on Canadian television before, some of them have been in feature films before, but we got so lucky with the cast, they completely, like, blew everyone away with their performances.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the, one of the other films you're premiering at Fantasia is uh, Capture Bird, which you helped produce. I was wondering, how did you attract the attention of the executive producer? It seems very appropriate that he's involved. Yes,
1: that was one of the most amazing experiences. The executive producer is Guillermo del Toro, and the director of the film is Ivanka Bukovic, for who for many years was the editor-in-chief of Rue Morgue magazine which is a horror movie magazine based in Toronto and Ivanka is a total icon and a celebrity in the genre world and so she's been traveling around to film festivals for 10 years representing herself and the magazine and she is friends with Guillermo because for 10 years they've been going to Fantasia and Fantastic Fest and Sitges and festivals like that together so when the time came for her to make a film she um, wanted the, the support of the people that she knew could truly make her film excellent. Mm-hmm. So she called Guillermo, and he was incredibly generous with his time and his. One of the great things about um, Guillermo is that he is such a fan, right? Like, and he's like us. When he loves something, he loves it yeah. unreservedly. But his his enthusiasm is so infectious, and and his help was was a, was was completely genuine in that way. <laughs>
0: So are you attending any of the films at Fantasia Fest? Uh,
1: yes. Um, I, I, I'm actually going to a film tonight that was present, being presented by Drafthouse Draft House Films, which is the company that does Fantasia Fest in Austin, Texas. Uh, sorry, Fantastic Fest in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Uh, and so this is a film called Miami Connection. Yeah. It's supposed to be a hilariously bad movie. And Tim Leake, who um, brought the film here, uh, he runs uh, Fantastic Fest and Drafthouse Films, told me that they bought the print on eBay for $50. Right. And then um, that, that, that when they watched the film and they saw how much fun it was to watch, they sought out the director, who is now a taekwondo, taekwondo instructor in Miami, and they uh, bought the rights to the film off him. It's a
0: movie right there. I know, I know. <laughs> and
1: so I'm super excited to the, go to this midnight show at uh, Fantasia tonight.
0: Uh, what do you think is the future of film, especially with 3D rearing its ugly head? Oh, God. <laughs>
1: I have no idea. I, re- I really uh, Here's what I think. People are not never going to stop gathering in dark rooms to watch stories together. 3D, 2D, $20, $2. We're never going to stop gathering in dark rooms to watch stories. All the details, I don't know, but that's going to stay the same.
0: Now what's in your future? Are you going to rest next year?
1: (laughs) No way, man. Um, I'm trying to keep up the momentum. I want to make another film as soon as I can. I've already written the script. It's another dark crime story with kind of a humorous edge to it. And I'm hoping that the momentum from these films will allow me to make that film as soon as possible
0: okay plug cold-blooded one more time
1: uh cold-blooded is a violent crime movie uh in the tradition of elmore leonard and films like out of sight and jean-pierre melville's um crime films it's playing july 30 tuesday july 31st at seven thirty p.m at the ja de Sevre theater at concordia university as part of fantasia fest i hope to see you there
0: thank you very much jason
1: bye